0: It's good to see you guys this morning. My name is Tyler Dean. I help here at Soundhouse Church and uh, very grateful this morning to be giving you the first announcements of the first Sunday of the new year. Yeah, so here we go. Jump right in. First of all, if it's your first time joining us, a special welcome to you. We're so glad you're with us this morning. If you're watching outside, we're glad you're here. If you're watching from home streaming, glad that you're watching as well. Now, if it is your first time here, we want to invite you. We want to get to know you. Uh, so we do want to invite you to fill out our, our Connect cards. We do uh, have those, I believe, in the back of the chairs in front of you and then also in the back of the room on the table. If you just want to turn those in. It's just a great way for you to to get to know who we are at Soundhouse Church and uh, for us to connect with you. So we invite you to to do that. And then uh, also, and lastly, actually, very quick announcements this morning, we do have our men's breakfast uh, this upcoming Saturday. So another great chance to connect if it's your first time or you haven't been to one of our men's breakfasts before. It's a great time of uh, food. The food is free, uh, but more importantly, the fellowship. Um, So be sure to check that out. Sign up online. uh, And we'd love to have you. And uh, we'll see you next week, men. Otherwise, uh, Chad.
1: she's been gone. Uh, Second is some campaign updates. If you are new, it's your first time, not connected yet, just wanna let you know we have started a a multi-year, multi-phase renovation of this campus. You know, we see ourselves, Soundhouse Church, we see ourselves as the next generation of, of stewards of this property. Um, we have found, you know, here on the property, there's been cases and cases of old slide images and handwritten uh, elder meeting notes that go back to 1922, and uh, you know, and, and just it's been so cool looking at all of this stuff and realizing how many times there's been a different generation uh, of church that's been stewarding this property. Sometimes I kind of feel like there was one, and then you know, this this church with a weird name came in, but. But no, it's gone through many iterations and many different uh, people who have come together and and worshiped God on this property. Um, And so we see ourselves as just that next next generation, the next steward. And um, so we're looking at what we can do to build upon the incredibly rich legacy that has already been built here on this property. And uh, phase one of this plan uh, was an electrical service upgrade. We have about residential power for this entire property, so we're getting that to commercial power, which is good. And uh, so electrical upgrade, which will be good for some safety and some uh, reliability, as well as future expansion, like adding AC and stuff like that. Um, We are also doing a park renovation. So uh, we have already received 10 nice picnic tables. We're going to do a nice seating area out there, as well as a new commercial playground. It'll be very exciting. Those all are getting delivered sometime in the next couple weeks. Uh, And then the bathrooms. So if you are new here today, you probably go to the basement to use the bathroom. Uh, The bathrooms are getting closer and closer. They are drywalled and painted. Tile starts tomorrow morning. uh, And those are are right out by the outdoor service. We actually went ahead and left those doors unlocked for service today. So if after you want to go take a look, feel free. Like I said, they're drywalled and painted. you know, it's still a bit of a construction site, check, check the floors, you know, be careful when you walk in there, but uh, if you want to see that, that's exciting. And, and uh, those are probably about two weeks out from, you know, tile and, 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 and uh, new fixtures and partitions and all that, but that's exciting. And just, two nights ago on New Year's Eve before midnight, we actually hit our fundraising goals of $50,000 to take care of those three uh, projects so we have completely uh, filled all of our, our phase one donations. So thank you, everyone. Yeah, that was, that was a... <laughs> thank you really to everyone in the church who has decided to partner with us on that. There will be a phase two and a phase three coming. Um, I think we, we got just over a $50,000 goal, and so any of those excess funds are just reserved for phase two, and we'll, we'll end up explaining phase two uh, in the coming months as we wrap up the projects of phase one, but very excited about that to come. Uh, let me go ahead and pray, and then we're going to jump into today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this place and thousands of places like this around the world where Your followers, Your your believers come together to worship You collectively, to grow closer to the, the model that You have set before us in Christ, and grow closer to each other at the same time. We thank You for the gift that a local church is to a body of believers. Be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, today, we are starting a new series. And I think this one's going to be uh, breaking the records for us as it's planning to go all the way through the end of August. Um, so that's a big one. Yeah, so settle in. We're, we're, we're going places this time. Uh, we are going to be, you know, we, we really want to do a very explicit study of the gospel. So we're going to be studying the gospel of Luke between now and Easter. And then we're going to be jumping straight from Luke into the second book that Luke wrote, the book of Acts, as we see the gospel begin to take shape in a community as it, as it gains feet and starts to, to move and spread and we see that the power of that within a community and also some of the difficulties and trials they face. So Easter to August, we'll be walking through the book of Acts. But it's important uh, that that we start in the right mindset, and we're going to be starting actually in Luke chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 3. And also for the next seven, eight months, this is a good series to actually bring your Bibles. There's some times where I'll I'll be honest, I know we're jumping around here, 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 and you know what's on the screen behind you, so you're like, "Ah, I'm just going to look up. That's a lot easier. But we're actually going to be, for the series, walking through very isolated texts, and so if you have your Bibles before you, it'll be very easy to follow along, and we'll be in Luke chapter 3 today. We're skipping 1 and 2 because that was Advent, which we just finished talking about the past couple weeks, the Christmas story, the, the birth of baby Jesus, and we're starting in Luke chapter three. But it's important as we read this, especially this chapter, that we develop the habits of reading scripture carefully and critically. Now critically, I don't mean to say negative as a negative, but reading critically means to read it carefully and inquisitively, right? That you're asking yourself questions. And that's actually how these books were, of the Bible were, were written and were meant to be read. We have traditions that we still have records of, like the, the Babylonian Talmud or, 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 the, or the Midrash, which were these records of, of, of rabbis and, and Pharisees and, and, and churches discussing and debating and, and working on, on trying to interpret each portion of Scripture. We fall along in that line, in that tradition, that we open Scripture and we have to interpret it. We have to read it carefully and inquisitively, and, uh, and that takes some a little bit of work, but as soon as you start doing it, you'll pick up on it real quick. We'll see that Luke drops a lot of images in this chapter, and it's easy to kind of gloss past them, but if you ask why, it'll shape and guide your reading of this chapter. Um, my wife Sarah and I are, are trying to watch the new Matrix that came out, and um, so we started by watching the previous three, right, over the past couple weeks and you know wh- whatever, an hour after daughter goes to bed and all of that. Um, but it's funny watching it uh, with your wife because it's just nonstop questions, right? It's just, uh, uh, she's asking all these questions because she doesn't understand it. So it keeps having to pause and okay, well if you remember back in, in the first movie when this happened and then okay, now no, remember this and, and that was what the oracle said and you know, we put piecing it all together. And then she goes on and she asks enough questions that I realize that I too don't understand it and I just have to start saying, I don't know, let's just enjoy it, you know. <laughs> But that's a perfect illustration for the two ways that you can read Scripture. You can read Scripture with this kind of glossing view, right, of okay, every once in a while, I'll get a little phrase that would make a great Instagram post or something to put on the background of your phone. But in between, there's a lot of things I just don't understand, and it's easier just to kind of gloss over them. And while that can happen, we say, you know, Scripture is the Word of God, which means like when God breathed life into Adam, Adam didn't become God, Adam became filled with the life that God gives. That is the same with scripture. That even from an uneducated view to the best, smartest scholar, anyone can pick up scripture, read it, and be given the the life that only God can give. So I wanna encourage you, no matter who you are, where you're at, you can read scripture. And you can find life that only God provides through this holy text. However, if we do read it closer, If we do ask a lot of questions, we can find some interesting takeaways. So I'm going to start reading here in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Feel free to follow along with me, or it will be up on the screen behind you. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ityria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Albine, during the high priesthood of Annias and uh, Caiaphas. Now this is interesting. Um, we all have calendars, or you have a, a calendar app on your phone that reminds you when it's someone's birthday, reminds you, whatever. Uh, they didn't have that as much back then. And the idea of, of accurately recording date was really difficult. If you're a rural fisherman, you probably didn't have those. So the, one of the greatest ways historically that, that, that a piece of uh, literature could date itself is by the, reigns, the different reigns of leaders. Because the emperor in Rome, he had people who were recording every meeting that happened. So it's interesting. Actually, when we try and date the birth of Jesus, there's kind of like a three-year range, and it comes from Luke chapter 3. Because there's only about a three-year range that all of these different authorities, the emperor, the, the, the governor of the region, and the, the local governors, all reigned at the exact same time. It's only about a three-year range. So that is why we are given that. It's kind of place us in our time and our setting. Now let's keep reading here. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, I'm going to give you this one, but the next couple images that we receive, I, I really want you guys to try and, and, and tell me where they come from. But if you think about that, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. That is echoing almost all of the calling of any of the Old Testament prophets. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. This is the way that these prophets are called. So when we read that, flag goes up in our head that says, this is a prophet. Now what was the role of the prophet? was to remind people of God's covenant and to remind people that they are waiting for His Messiah to come. And that is how we're meant to read John the Baptist. Verse 3. And John the Baptist, he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming the... Of, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He went to all the region of Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And baptism was a ritual of washing that would signify that your life is changing directions, that you are changing something about yourself. Now, church, the Jordan, why is that significant? Why is John the Baptist at the Jordan? If we look back at Israel's history, what happened at the Jordan River? We find it in the book of Joshua. Crossed into the promised land. This is the location where the people of God went from the wilderness to the deliverance into the promised land of God. And if you know the Old Testament, you know that it is a long story of the people continuously failing to become the people of God. So it's interesting that John the Baptist is calling Israelites to go back to this river to dunk themselves and then re-enter the promised land repentant. Re-enter the promised land different. Now that's cool. That's great. But why? And why now is John the Baptist doing that? We're answered that by this next image that this this author gives us that is just so beautiful. It starts in verse 4. It says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness: Prepare the way of the Lord; make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled; every mountain and hill shall be made low; and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, if you have little footnotes in your Bible, you look down at the bottom, and it'll tell you that comes from Isaiah. I believe Isaiah 40 is where that, that little piece comes from. Now, I, I was not raised in a, uh, in a hiking family. I was married into one. And um, I came with some adjustments. The very first time I went on a hike uh, was I, I, wore, I was gonna wear Toms. Uh, those are really comfortable shoes. You're walking a lot. You want comfortable shoes. And the night before, Sarah called me. She goes, do you know what we're doing tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, I got my comfy shoes. I'm good, you know? And, Um, It was a a big learning curve, but if you hike much, you know that every mile is not the same, right? You will go on hikes where it's a 14-mile hike, but it's pretty much level and it's a nice path And that's not that big of a deal or you can hike Mount Baldy, which is only four miles But 4,000 feet of elevation gain. It's just a stair climber. There's no switchbacks It's just there's a mountain. Let's walk straight up to the top of it Um, Miles are not the same there are easy paths and there are difficult paths. Well, here's what's so interesting at this. So John the Baptist shows up on the scene, tells the Israelites to repent and re-enter the land as different people, repentant of their sin, seeking God's righteousness. Why? And to answer that question, we get an image that was delivered to a people a long time ago. We're meant to read Luke chapter 3 with the same image that was given to the Israelites centuries previous. You see, in Isaiah chapter 40, what's happening is the Israelites are exiled. And if you were to pick two events that shaped the people of Israel, I would say it's the Exodus and the Exile. Right? You'll find this when you're reading Psalms, that they're still referring back to the Exodus. It was, it was a big cultural uh, identity shaping. Right? We have some of these as a nation. I mean, you would agree that 9-11 shaped our country, not just emotionally at the time, but even institutions that have, that have been developed since then and, and ways of, of looking at the world. That was an event that shaped our nation. Well, in the same way Israel was shaped by the Exodus, the, the flight from Egypt, and the exile. And what happened with the exile is they were uh, finally taken over. They're conquered by the nation of Babylon. God continuously said, if you reject my law, if you reject my teaching, you will lose this blessing that you were given. You are always my people. But this land is a blessing that will be taken. If you're not following the law, they abandon the law. They become like every other nation around them, uh, practicing pretty horrible practices. And eventually God says, okay, and Jeremiah is the last one to kind of tell them that this is happening. And Babylon comes in and they conquer uh, Israel. The is long 18-month siege of Jerusalem, they finally conquer it. They're then taken to Babylon. For 70 years, these people, these Israelite people, are living in another nation. And towards the end of these years is when they get this image. Think about that, those two verses again. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This word comes to a people who have been oppressed for 70 years in a nation that's not their own. And they hear God is preparing the way, He's leveling mountains, He's filling in valleys. He's smoothing out the rough trails and making it a highway. Now, now that's hyperbole. I mean, God wasn't literally leveling mountains, but this is imagery. Imagery given to these people to say God is preparing the way for your salvation, as we read at the end. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. Really interesting, a little side note that I I, I find fascinating, one of those powerful stories is, is that is imagery of, of them being told, hey, God's leveling the mountains, God's making it easier, he's preparing the way for your return. But we see in different portions of scripture where God is literally doing this. You wanna hear one of the, the, the creepiest portions of, of, uh, of, of scripture's images comes from Daniel chapter five. When Nebuchadnezzar's son is now the king of, is, is now the king of Babylon, this is during the exile, read this. Uh, Daniel chapter five, verse one. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands. Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and the lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. And they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken from the temple, the house of God. When Jerusalem was finally sacked, they they, they looted the temple, all these holy pieces that were meant for the worship of God, they're, they're celebrating with them. They brought out the golden vessels to be taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lord and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. If, if you know from Leviticus and a lot of the, the, the texts about the, the, in Exodus about the building of the tabernacle and the building of the te- temple, there was one lampstand that was in the Holy of Holies, the, the, the centermost chamber, to give light to that portion where God's Spirit was to rest. And so across the room from this lampstand that was meant for the most holy of purposes in the temple, the king sees this this ghostly hand writing on the wall. And the hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote and the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters and the... the, uh, Chaldeans and the astrologers and then everyone who can try and answer what is going on. And if you know the story, Daniel is the only one who can interpret it. And it, it's, like I said, it, it's, just, it's so eerie. It's interpreted to say measured, weighed, and divided. That's what this, this king is given this message of. It's the kind of terminology that was given after someone passes away when there's a will or a trust and their, their life needs to be measured, weighed, and then divided amongst the survivors. And as he's at this moment of celebration of his conquest, God is telling him, your kingdom has already been measured, weighed, and its end is already coming. And then we see in Ezra chapter 1 of this actually happening when finally Babylon is defeated themselves by Persia. This is how God brought deliverance, defeated by Persia. And in, in one verse 1, it says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord Uh, by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus of Persia so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you uh, of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is... Uh, He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold and goods and with beasts besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So finally, Babylon, which is this arrogant display of power uh, as they are using the temple items for their celebration, is told, your time will come. And they're defeated by Persia. And this Persian king comes into Babylon and says, what are these people doing here? Send them home. And they're sent home. So we see how God does literally orchestrate the return of the people, their salvation being, being liberated from their oppression and returned back home. But in this Luke chapter 3, we have this image. The hills be leveled, the valleys be filled, the roads be smoothed. Why is John saying that to these people? It's because in the same way that the Israelites in oppression in Babylon can hear the imagery and say, God is preparing our way for our deliverance. John the Baptist is telling these people who are moments away from meeting Jesus, God has been preparing your way to salvation. God has been preparing your way to deliverance. And that is what we find in ourselves today. We look at this, this story about to meet Jesus and, and He's saying prepare yourselves because salvation is coming. Let's keep reading in, in verse 7. And He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by Him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now that sounds incredible. Tense. That sounds harsh. That sounds unnecessarily harsh these people who are coming out looking for deliverance to call them brood of vipers. But let's keep reading and find out why. Bear fruit, he tells them, in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to, uh, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire and the crowds asked him what then shall we do the perfect response i want us to sit in this moment and imagine that we are there too on the beach of the jordan and john the baptist gives you this illustration of of saying hey remember when god prepared the way for israel to return home keep that in your mind right now you see if you have accepted christ as your lord and savior if you've heard and received the gospel It's because a way was prepared before you. And I mean that in two ways. In one, there was a person or a place that delivered to you the good news of Jesus Christ. Think about that for a second. When did you first accept Jesus as your own Lord and Savior? Where was it? Or who was it that helped usher that in? Do you think that was random? Or do you think that was God leveling the hills and filling the valleys and preparing you to find salvation? God brought you that. In addition, there's a theology that's always stuck with me. It's a theology called prevenient grace. And it means that before you can even accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that the Holy Spirit has already been working on your heart, softening it, preparing it to receive. Well, think about that for a second. It may have felt like a moment decision, but was it? Or did God prepare the way for you to find your salvation in Jesus Christ? You know, one of the common phrases that I hear sometimes um, is individuals who I'm, I'm meeting with them and they'll say that I feel distant from God. And often in that moment, I'll tell them about this idea of provenient grace, and then I'll ask them, why are you here asking that question? Because there are millions of people around the world who aren't asking that question. Does that make sense? You feel a sense of loss. You feel a sense of estrangement from God. You feel like something's missing. Others don't feel like something's missing. You are being called back to Him. That is the Holy Spirit working on your heart, reminding you that something is missing. That is provenient grace. That is for you in your life, The hills being leveled and the valleys being filled and the rough road being smooth. That is the way of salvation for your life being prepared in front of you. Now, as we we go into that next section, he he calls these people who show up, this brood of vipers. I don't know if anyone remembers, um, back when Katrina was happening. Is that 08, 09, somewhere in there? When was that? 05, okay. Were you, were you in the south at that time, right, Claire? Oh, no? You just have good memory. My bad. Um, so if you remember that, obviously, there were horrible stories of flooding and waters rising. But I, don't, I remember seeing videos and hearing the stories of snakes. Yeah, so, yeah why you got to add anything? But snakes, especially groups of snakes, have this, this you know, resiliency that they will flee danger. And so you have people who are on the second story of their home uh, or on the roof of their home and then were constantly having to watch out for snakes that were trying to swim across and find land to get up there. Or fire, same thing. You'll see a house on fire and you'll see snakes just fleeing from the scene. They're, they're just seeking their own survival. He's giving this imagery of, of, okay, salvation is here. Salvation is being prepared before you. Israelites, you are about to meet Jesus. Why are you here? He starts by saying, are you a brood of vipers? Just fleeing the wrath of God, he says. But then he continues by saying, bear fruit. Just you claiming Abraham's not enough. Bear fruit. Even now the axe is laid at the roots. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Verse 10, the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? That is the response that you and I should have when the salvation of the gospel is delivered to me, is delivered to you. What then shall I do? Verse 11, And He answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with them who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to Him, Teacher, what shall we do? And He said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers asked Him, What are we to do? And He said to them, Do not extort from money, from anyone or by threats or by false accusations, but be content with your wages. So the people are receiving the salvation and he says, repent. Don't just be snakes just fleeing danger, trying to save your own neck. Actually repent. Actually be different in the face of your salvation being offered to you. And I love how practical it is. Show compassion to others. Be an agent of justice wherever you have authority you know, it begins with with self-examination. So I'm asking this today, and we're looking at Luke chapter 3 today, because I want you to consider how you have received the gospel. How have you received the gospel in the past? And how are you receiving the gospel today and tomorrow? Are you receiving it as someone who's just saving their neck? Or you're receiving it as someone who's being transformed and repentant because of that. There's this phenomenal uh, little study that someone did a long time ago. A little imagery, once again, called "My Heart Christ's Home." Has anyone ever read it? Super old. Um, has anyone ever heard that? "My Heart Christ's Home." Okay, it's very, very short. And uh, if you want to, on the Soundhouse app, we we listed it there, and you can actually click on it and pull up the whole PDF. In addition, if you're not as tech-friendly, we've heard some requests for that. I printed up a dozen copies, and it's on the back foyer table. Uh, But it is this imagery that this this man imagines inviting Christ into a house, and this house is his heart. So he invites him into the entryway is when he accepts Christ. But you see, conversion isn't just a one-time, single decision, it is a, a, a commitment. And so in this imagery, this man is slowly walking around the house and slowly giving Jesus access to more and more. They go to the study, the library, all the information that this man consumes, TV and books and news and all of that, and he allows Jesus to move some stuff around. He takes him to his office, his workroom, where his, you know, his occupation, his vocation, and allows Jesus to, to make some changes there. One by one, he, he takes him different places. I love the dining room. Um, of course I love the dining room. No, but the dining room wasn't just the food. It was, it was desires. And he slowly, and every step of the way, this is painful. He's resisting. And in the dining room, he's slowly saying, I'm going to start trading my desires for your desires. Give me the cravings that you have for me, God. Slowly, one by one, there's finally the hall closet is, is the last holdout. And Jesus just smells this stench coming from the, the hall closet. And then in the end, he finally transfers the title over to Christ. He finally says, I am surrendering all this. Is, my heart is now yours. You do with it what you like. That is one response. I think the other response is saying, Jesus came in, he's in the entryway, get you a nice chair. Good, that's enough. I want to accept Jesus. I want my my ticket to heaven. But I have no intention of any life change happening. That is what this chapter is going after. He says salvation is being brought to you today. How do you respond? Do you respond by saving your neck? Or do you ask that question, what then shall we do? That's the perfect response. To the gospel that's the perfect response to salvation uh the, this the chapter continues on it says as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning john whether he might be in whether he might be the christ john answered them all saying i baptize you with water but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff will be burnt with unquenchable fire. It, it's interesting. Uh, we, read the, we sang the song, the fourth song today. I wrote this down. Jess, are you in here? That, that was a very powerful song. And you sang this line. You said, My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend but can I just get the friend, right? Do I have to have the surgeon? Because I like things how they are. I like my own ambitions, I like my own desires, I like my own selfishness, I like my own way of doing life, I just want my salvation, that's enough, no more, thank you. Or are we willing to have the surgeon as well? And as we see when Christ comes, he offers life, he offers grace, but it also comes with judgment for those who deny him. Verse 18, So with many other exhortions, he preached, John the Baptist, preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, the governor, who had been reproved by him, by John the Baptist, for Herodias, his brother's wife, Herod the Tetrarch uh, married his sister-in-law, and for all the evil things he had done, Uh, that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked up John in prison. John was very vocal that Herod was living in sin by doing this, and John ends up in prison. Then verse 21, Now when all people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This chapter ends up real short. It's kind of closing the scene. John the Baptist goes to prison, identifies he is not the Messiah, goes to prison. And then we get these two affirmations, and the first one is right there, is the Holy Spirit coming down and is the voice of God saying, this is my son. This chapter started with identifying John the Baptist as a prophet. It's ending by saying, the prophet is pointing to the Messiah right now. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. The chapter finishes with another uh, affirmation that we're not going to read. You can put it up here. It's the genealogy of Jesus. That's why we're not going to read it. Um, <laughs> you, but you can read it uh, for yourself at home. But there's some interesting things about it as we see another affirmation of who Jesus is. It's an affirmation of, of association really is that we see Jesus being in line of David. Now David was, they were hoping, the messianic king but was not. By the end of his life, it was clear that he too was was fallen and so the search continued for who will this messianic king be and then in the line of Abraham by whom all the world were to be blessed and were to be the people of God that is who Jesus in line with and then ultimately by Adam the son of God so who is this gospel for going back to Adam it's for everyone that is, is these last two affirmations. Is first from God saying, this is my son. This is the Messiah. This is what the past millennia of prophecies have been pointing to. And then ending with, by the way, this is for everyone who's looking for King David, the Messiah King. This is everyone who is looking uh, for, the, for the blessing of Abraham. And this is also just for everyone. All men and women on this earth. For all of humanity. Uh... This is the gospel message. Jesus, the Messianic King David, Jesus, the Messianic King, who brings God's blessing to all people, that he is the Son of God, who is our way prepared for salvation. This is your way of salvation. Christ before you. And that is not coincidence. That is God leveling mountains and filling valleys and smoothing roads. To bring him before you. That is the Holy Spirit working on your heart before this day to bring you to a spot where you are ready to receive him. And whether you've received him uh, today or tomorrow or somewhere in the past, I want to ask you how you're receiving him right now. How do you receive the news of the gospel right now? Are you simply seeking to save your own neck? Or are you seeking to respond, like they did, by what should we do then? How shall we live? There's this uh, author that wrote this book called The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and um, phenomenal character, phenomenal life, and that book is is a top five recommend, The Cost of Discipleship. But he says that in this book, he says that there's two kinds of grace in the world. There's cheap grace, and there's costly grace. There's grace that you can receive for nothing, and it will do practically nothing for you. Or there's a grace that will cost you everything, but will leave you transformed. The best illustration I can think of it is: Do you remember when uh, bands started doing the whole thing of pay what you want for an album? Have you seen that? A couple bands have done this through times of uh, putting it up and, and and hey, if you say it's worth a penny, pay a penny. If you say it's worth twenty bucks, pay twenty bucks. And some bands have done that. You pay what you what you feel is appropriate for this. That's almost what what uh, uh, Bonhoeffer is saying here is you can receive Jesus with as little commitment, as little transformation as you want, and say, hey, Jesus, this is my entryway. Do not open any of those doors. Or you can respond by, what shall I do? How can I repent? You can respond by saying, you are offering me your life. Well, then I surrender mine as well. I give you access to every door of my heart, all of my ambitions, my desires. I give you access to to my work life, my home life, my influences. I give you access to everything. My life is yours. Let your gospel transform me. We're going to spend the next couple months walking through the, the gospel of Luke. And every week, you're going to start hearing more and more of these descriptions of the gospel, these these embodiments of the gospel, and as you do, you have to ask yourself, how are you responding? Do you see this grace as cheap or as costly? Do you accept Jesus but only at a distance, or do you say my life is yours? Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are all in this room because of our own stories. Every single person in this room has, has led a different life, has led a different path, and yet we are here because you clearly have paved the road. In each one of our stories, you have leveled mountains, you have filled valleys. Against all odds, you have brought us to a place where we will receive you. But, Father, I pray that we respond in kind. That we respond as people who understand the cost that was given to show us this grace by offering our own lives. That we surrender our lives to you, that whatever you want from us, we will do. God, I don't want to just add you as a piece in my life, as a different compartment of my life, as a different facet of my life. I want to offer you all of my life that when people see me, they first see you. Lord, I pray that this is a community built of individuals who are sold out for the gospel. Who have surrendered everything for you. Be with us, transform us, shape us into who you call us to be. In Jesus' name.